Hello, I'm Robert Royal, and these are the Catholic Thing Podcasts. We're delighted to have with us today someone who's going to be familiar to many of you who follow the Catholic Thing. We have a uh, regular columnist of ours, Stephen P. White, who many of you, I'm sure, have been reading on our site. Steve is also a fellow in the Catholic Studies Program at uh, the Ethics and Public Policy Center here in Washington, D.C. But we're going to be speaking with him today about another hat that he wears. He's the executive director of something called the Catholic Project at the Catholic University of America. So, Steve, welcome. It's good to have you on with us. Thanks for having me on, Bob. Steve, I'd like to start out by asking you, because um, although I've you know, known the, about your activities with the, the, the Catholic Project, um, I don't think many people do, and I myself don't know it in very great detail. Can you tell us just a bit about what it is, how it got started, and uh, what you've been doing lately? Yeah, so the, the history of the Catholic Project goes back to the unhappy summer of 2018 and to the autumn of 2018, um, when so the, the latest iteration of the abuse crisis really broke in the church in the United States with the McCarrick scandal and the, the, the Vigano letter. And the, the, we, we remember those times all too well. Um, then president of Catholic University, John Garvey, thought that um, this being the Bishop's University and the, the you know, official university of the church in the United States, there was an opportunity, but also a kind of responsibility to, to do what we could as a university to respond to that crisis. The, the gentleman who normally would, would take up a leadership role in the church at a moment of crisis. We're a bit busy at the moment. The bishops were a bit uh, bruised in their their uh, capacity to, to lead uh, credibly at the time. Um, but there was also a lot of animosity and sort of friction in the church. People were upset. People were confused. People were very angry. Um, so he thought that uh, a measured response, a balanced response, a faithful response and response that, that didn't look for antagonism between laity and clergy was something the university could do. So under his leadership, there were a couple of different programs that the university started. Um, and there was a, sort of this little flock of initiatives that started. And he realized at some point late that year that he had a day job running a university. So he uh, brought me on board to help to help um, run this, which became the Catholic Project. So I came on board uh, almost five years ago in early 2019. Um, and at first it was a bit like like building an airplane mid-flight. We had academic programs we had going on. We were starting a, a, a certificate in child protection and safe environments. We had um, conferences that we were hosting. Uh, we had the idea of that we wanted to make a, a podcast, which we ended up doing. Crisis uh, was a podcast that that got o- over a quarter million listens and downloads at this point. Um, so we started all kinds of different uh, projects to try and do what we could as a university to help the church respond in this in this moment of, of crisis and, and turmoil. But it went much further, didn't it? I mean, one of the things that I wanted to talk with you about is this is a, a kind of a positive development inside the church at a time. And even now, five years later, of course, there are many things that many of us are worried about. I was particularly struck recently by the uh, survey and the study that the, the Catholic Project did of priests and seminarians here in the United States. Can you tell us a bit about that? Because there was, I thought there was some surprising results of that survey. Yeah. So from the beginning, we knew, you know, in a moment of crisis, you have to look at some unpleasant things and, and tell some some difficult, unpleasant truths. Um, but we didn't we wanted to be constructive. Um, one of the things we decided to look at was 
um, and it was inspired by a conversation with, as I said, then President Garvey and, and Cardinal Dolan. Um, Cardinal Dolan mentioned that there, there was a lot of anecdotal evidence that suggests that the church's response to the abuse crisis, the crisis itself, but also the church's response, going back to the Dallas Charter, had caused, had changed the relationship between priests and bishops. That what had been a, a sort of fraternal or, or father-son relationship had become more strained uh, in a lot of ways, had become sort of HRified. Um, and no one had studied that carefully. So, so we set out to, to conduct a study that would look at the ways that the abuse crisis and the church's response to it have affected trust uh, and confidence in, in the leadership of bishops among priests. So we, we did that. We, we conducted the largest survey of American Catholic priests in more than 50 years. Um, and we found that, that the trust uh, between priests and bishops is not great. Um, we found that, that priests overall are, are actually flourishing and doing well. Um, and then we decided to sort of dig down more to what are what are some of the causes of, of eroding trust and and what are some of the ways that we can fix them. Um, that the original uh, study was conducted and the re results released last fall, um, in fall of 2022. Um, and then this autumn we released a second sort of batch of of data uh, from the same study, looking at some of the dynamics between different generations and and sort of friction between different generations of priests and and trends in how priests view themselves based on what, what age cohort they're in or when they were ordained. And there was some, we can dig into some of that, but there, there was a lot of really uh, interesting information. Uh, some of it confirms things people suspected. Some of it sort of cuts against the grain of some stereotypes about, about priests in the United States. Um, by and large, it was very well received by, by the bishops. I think a lot of them were a bit nervous about a study like this that they didn't have control over. Um, but I think most of them by and large were, were very grateful, uh, even if it made them have some some hard conversations with their priests uh, that I think ultimately were, were good conversations. So. I think one of the results that a lot of people um, picked up on is something that it's not exactly surprising, but I, I think the extent to which this survey confirmed an intuition that a lot of us had uh, was a surprise. And that was that, um, look, let's speak frankly about this. There's been a certain tension between Pope Francis, obviously, and what he perceives America to be. He seems to think of us as a, a more conservative, John Paul II, Benedict XVI type of uh, church, which I think is probably generally true. But one of the things that I, I found a lot of people were talking about was how your survey discovered, if that's the right word, that uh, almost all of our seminarians, I guess it, it was, um, describe themselves as traditional or conservative. And that it, it is true that in the United States, somehow, maybe because many of our bishops were appointed by John Paul II and by Benedict, that that type of vision, which is a bit different than the vision we've had in the church the past 10 years, really looks like it's going to persist into the future for the church in the United States. Is that a, a true description of what you found or, or no? Yeah, that, uh, I think that's right. Uh, there's there's there are a couple of nuances there, though. Uh, if if I in one sentence or one short paragraph could describe the youngest cohort of priests in the United States, sure. I would say they're they're theologically orthodox. This is how they describe themselves: theologically orthodox, politically moderate, more so than any other cohort that we studied, um, and they're the most sort of ethnically and racially diverse of all the cohorts. The the, yeah, the oldest liberal cohorts, the oldest, most progressive, most liberal cohorts, both, both politically and and theologically, tend to be. The, the most overwhelmingly, over 90, 95% uh, Caucasian, white. Um, 
what was interesting is that this isn't the, I don't think this is a story of sort of a wave of conservatives. So it's true that over time, the, the priests um, have become more conservative, the cohort of each priest class going all the way back to the priests ordained right after the council, all the way up through, through uh, 2020 and 2021. The, the, the younger priests tend to be more conservative, both politically and, and theologically. Um, but I, as I said, I don't think this is a rise of conservatives so much as this looks to me like a complete collapse of of men, of vocations from men who are, see themselves as politically and especially theologically progressive or liberal. Um, they've just uh, essentially vanished from the ranks. Now, if I were a bishop, I w- would want to know why that is. Um, I, I'm someone who, who um, doesn't assume... I. I operate in the assumption that there are lots of good men who would make great priests who have maybe different politics than I do or, or, or different theology, but that these men seem to have, uh, who see themselves as, as politically liberal or, or, or theologically progressive have, have just stopped going into the priesthood. Now, maybe that's because they've been weeded out of the seminary. Maybe it's because, uh, certain you know, predominant strains of, of progressive theology have a different view of the priesthood than what's on offer in the Catholic church today. Um, I don't know, but as I said, this looks to me like a collapse of progressive vocations uh, rather than a a sudden wave of conservatives. Um, As you said, this, this is, these are the priests we're going to have for, for the coming decades. Um, And the fact that almost none of the youngest priests, very, very few priests under the age of 40 and and virtually zero under the age of 30 see themselves as, as anything other than politically moderate or conservative and theologically conservative or, or orthodox, uh, that's the character of the priesthood for the for the foreseeable future. It's also interesting that this isn't a new trend. It's very consistent going back, like I said, all the way to the to cohorts ordained right after the council. Um, mm-hmm. So this isn't. There's no inflection point where you could say, "Oh, there's there's a, a shift with John Paul II, or there's a shift with with uh, Benedict the Sixteenth, or a shift with Francis." This seems to be a, a you know, decades, almost half century long trend. Let me ask you, because I'm curious, I, I don't know if you can answer this question or not, but how does that compare with the uh, seminarians' view as they are in, in many places uh, coming down the, the pipeline in other nations, particularly Europe, where there seems to be a collapse of vocations? One tends to think that the people who are the most um, passionate about the, the church are going to be those who, who take very seriously what the church has to teach and what it has to offer. Did you did you do any kind of sort of cross-national, international comparisons? We, we didn't, and we didn't interview seminarians. We uh, only st- surveyed priests, so some of them were very young and newly ordained. Um, I, but I asked this question myself. I said, if, if I was, a, if I was, as I mentioned, if I was a pro- progressive bishop or a bishop who's concerned about um, a lopsided presbyterate, um, I would be wanting to know wh- where did these men go? And, and what might we do to find good vocations from places that they're not coming from now? Uh, a friend of mine pointed out that, that there are places where the bishops don't seem to to care one way or another. You know, there was a, a in the run up to the synod or during the synod um, this past fall, there was a German bishop who was who pointed out that he had virtually no vocations, hasn't for a long time, and his his response to that isn't to sort of change course; it's to change the priesthood. Um, with, you know, so that the, the response to that acute crisis in vocations doesn't seem to be um, provoking the kinds of questions that I would I would be asking. Um, one interesting thing to look at in, internationally, I know, and this isn't from our study, but just in general, is that um, for a long time, uh, through much of the 80s and 90s, um, 
Poland was really the powerhouse of, of vocations in Europe. Uh, as much as a third of, of the priests being ordained in, in Europe were, were ordained in Poland, vocations in Poland have, have trailed off and are, are declining as much as they are in a lot of places, though they're much more robust. Um, Poland's not making up for the difference anymore the way it was uh, 20 or 25 years ago. And I think that's something to watch. I mean, it's, it's not inconceivable. In fact, in some cases, it, it's already happening that um, New World or Global South priests are coming back to Europe as, as missionaries. Uh, just because there aren't there aren't enough homegrown priests, even for declining flocks in in large parts of Europe. Has your program? I, I think when you and I were speaking some months ago, you once talked about how um, the program also had, was meant to have some impact on the, the Catholic University of America campus itself. Has that? Has there been any? Um, can, can you? I mean, we're we're all trying to bring forward. Uh, the Catholic principles to evangelize, you know, to make them living in as many different contexts as possible. Have you had any influence on the the campus ethos or the ca campus practice via this Catholic project? Because I'm sure many people out there are wondering, since a lot of us have great fears uh, or at least nervousness about where Catholic universities in general are going, Catholic colleges and universities. Mm -hmm. And we've got a lot of them, as you know, here in the United States, about 250. Um, can you give us a bit of enlightenment about that? Yeah, the Catholic Project doesn't work a lot with students. We've done some programming with students um, in the past, but most of our work is is with, with the faculty or, or odd extra. Um, I've been very pleased with the way the new president, uh, Peter Kilpatrick, has sort of embraced the Catholic Project. We're doing a lot of work right now uh, he's tasked us with sort of help helping to organize the university's sponsorship of the upcoming eucharistic congress in indianapolis which the university just recently announced is we're going to be uh, a major sponsor of that sort of planting our flag i think that's that catholic universities could be a major presence at that event it says a lot about the direction of catholic university and, and and how far it's come uh in the last in recent decades um i see a lot of good things going on on campus i'm i my oldest is still in is just starting high school but it's um, she's of the age where I'm starting to think about, you know, the, the impending doom of, of colleges. And, and I'd say this, I would say this, even if I wasn't an employee of the, of the university, I, I've been very pleased and impressed with, with what's going on here at, Cap uh, at Catholic University. Um, the, the Dominicans, Father Aquinas Gilbo has taken over campus ministry and he's been doing great things. Um, uh, you know, we've got a, a new Dean at the School of Theology and Religious Studies, Joe Capizzi, who, who a lot of your our viewers might might know and recognize. So I, I'm really I'm really um, uh, good things are happening at Catholic University, and, and I expect them to continue. That's uh, really encouraging. Great, great. Listen, our time is growing short, but let me put one last question to you. What what new things should we look for that are going to take place um, in the program of uh, the Catholic Project, and ask you an impossible question. What would you like to see happen in the church in the world uh, that you, you're going to be putting some effort into trying to make a reality? Well, I'm going to take the easy way out and answer the first part of that question and sort of hint at the second <laughs> part. Um, in the coming years, I'd love to see the, the Catholic Project become um, sort of an in-house research institute that does long-term research on challenges facing the church in the United States. Um, in particular in the United States. Our, our priest survey, I think, showed that we could do that and do it really well. Um, we're sort of the perfect place for it. Um, there's lots of questions uh, 
that a lot of dioceses and parishes are facing. Uh, you know, what happens not just in the next 18 months or to get us through the next fiscal year, uh, but, but there are a lot of major shifts in the church demographically um, uh, in terms of management and structure that are going to ha- take place over the, over the coming generation. And I think uh, an institute that looks at diocesan restructuring, the challenges of bankruptcy, evangelization in you know, a shifting secular environment, um, challenges of uh, sort of shifting expectations for incoming Hispanic Catholics and how that changes the church in the United States. A lot of these questions that people don't have the time or the wherewithal to look at in concrete detail. Um, and I'd love for us to, to become sort of the, the go-to place for the church in the United States for looking at those those questions long-term and, and hopefully help bishops make better decisions, help help dioceses function better um, and, and do a lot of good research in those areas. But that's those are those are dreams. Some of them are, are in motion. Some of it's uh, yet to come. Uh, uh, but I think, I think everyone sort of recognizes that the, the, the church of the early 20th century, uh, which was sort of the model for the church in the United States for a long time, is, is sort of coming to an end. Um, and no one's quite sure what happens next. Uh, and I think that presents a lot of challenges, but also opportunities um, for, for good decisions to be made. Uh, as I was saying to someone today, it's important for dioceses to be solvent, but the purpose of a diocese is not to be solvent. Um, we have to proclaim the gospel and finding new ways to do that uh, in, in a challenging environment, I think is exciting and, and work that could uh, keep us busy for a very long time. Well, Steve, thank you for your time and thank you for everything that you're doing. Um, you really are a kind of a hopeful beacon at this point when there is, seems to be so much darkness and, and turmoil swirling around in the church and the world. And I encourage people to uh, to look to your website, which is the, uh, the, the is it the CatholicProject.org? Yes, CatholicProject.catholic.edu. CatholicProject.catholic.edu. Exactly right. And let me just say also, if you want to read more by Steve White and other luminaries, uh, you can also uh, subscribe to the Catholic Thing www.thecatholicthing.org. You can subscribe for free. And every morning you will get into your inbox a, a brief because our charism is brevity. We know that many of you have so much to watch, to listen to, uh, to study. Um, so you get a 1,000 word essay on some Catholic topic every morning for free. Uh, we don't discourage donations, but you can subscribe for free uh, to the Catholic thing. So thank you, Steve. Thank all of you for watching and for listening. And we'll see you all again soon.